Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Here we go, Bob Olin Show for a Tuesday, already the end of July. Bob, this is the final week of July. Uh, gardening season certainly zipping right along here as well as summer. <laughs> oh, Bob, we got you? Well, I'm not hearing Bob Olin at this point. We may have lost to Bob. Well, hey. Oh, there you are. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Welcome in back. Thank you very much. In and out <laughs> telecommunications sometimes. That's all right. Good. Well, we got uh, the end of uh, final week of July going on, so we're well into the gardening season, I bet. Well, we definitely are, and things are coming along pretty nicely. Uh, got a little rain in the forecast coming here, so that's all good. Uh, so far, so good. We've, uh, we're having a pretty good year. Uh, certainly... Uh, beans and squash a little early for tomatoes and whatnot but yeah. a lot of the uh a lot of the other crops are coming uh pretty interesting uh we're coming right into the raspberry season right now dave so mm-hmm. we're looking forward to small fruits uh, delicacies really and uh the nice thing about growing a little bit of your own is uh, in the case of uh, we take a look at raspberries a uh, fruit like that's very expensive and if you can uh, produce a little bit of your own, it's kind of a gourmet item that adds to your adds to your uh, enjoyment of this time of year, for sure, Dave. Yeah, a lot of the fun is picking it, and I guess there are some places where you guys should go pick your own, right? Well, we used to have a number. We, You yeah. know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, most of these uh, ran into a, a pest we call a spotted-winged drosophila. It's a little oh, fruit boy. fly. And uh, if people don't get after that and don't pick real promptly, or if you don't, if a producer doesn't entertain a real rigorous spray regimen, and many of them did not want to do this, uh, it became pretty difficult. Uh, anyone that's had this experience, it's interesting. It, we don't know everything we should know about the insect. came in again. It was one of those Chinese imports that came in, and it kind of swept the country, and it's hit particularly hard in our major commercial production states, raspberry production states, this would be Washington and Oregon, and the good thing about uh, affecting a commercial crop like that is they're doing quite a bit of research on it, but it's going to be a while until we find, hopefully, from nat- some natural predators that can help take care of the problem. The interesting thing is, last year we really didn't have much of a problem where it had been so bad before. Now, once again, it's a, it's a fly, it gets its name from, uh, the male actually has a uh, blacks or brownish spots, a large spot on either one of its wings, hence the term spotted wing drosophila. But these are small fruit flies, so to see, the, see those spotted spots on the wings, you're actually going to have to have uh, some kind of a microscopic protection because it's uh, pretty hard to see. But nonetheless, what isn't hard to see, when the female comes and deposits its eggs in the real ripe fruit, so this can affect strawberries, it can affect blueberries, but it's been particularly devastating on the raspberry crop, right as it ripens, that's when they deposit the eggs. And um, the egg will germinate, particularly under warmer conditions, very quickly, and all of a sudden you get a white white larvae, a little white, what people call worms, but it's an actual insect larvae. And if you let that fruit sit and those eggs germinate, uh, you can have your fruit covered with uh, literally the white larvae. It's kind of a disgusting thing. So it became uh, a real problem. 
Uh, and uh, a lot of researchers are looking at ways to control it. Uh, we do have some options, I think, for homeowners, and we don't know this year because the crop is just beginning to ripen up for us now. Mm-hmm. We don't know if this is going to be a bad year or uh, a good year. Uh, we thought we had a problem uh, that would be continuous, and yet last year was the exception of the rule. It wasn't difficult at all. So we'll have to see what's going to happen this year. But for for most folks, I think what I advise people to do, if you've got a raspberry crop, pick daily or at the most every second day. And then if there are some eggs in there, uh, pick it, use it, consume it, freeze it, preserve it. Within that one or two-day period, it's not going to be a problem at all. Uh, the other options, uh, and some of the commercial people in this area looked at them, and they're pretty rigorous. You've got to go to a spray program. There are any number of products that are labeled, and commercially, this is what they've had to go to, but there are waiting periods associated with many of them. So you have to be real careful because the application, you have to control the fruit fly right when the fruit is ripe. So it's a, it becomes a real challenge, and that's what's made it so difficult. For, so, for most owners, just keep picking pick up all of the ripe fruit that may fall to the ground. So you're going to have to practice what we call super sanitation. You can't just throw that uh, ripe fruit into your compost pile because it does contain the insect. So what you want to do is um, you can put it in a plastic bag, leave it out in the sun, and then just destroy them that way. Uh, so you want to keep the keep the population down if you possibly can. Uh, there are other things you can do. Make sure you don't have a lot of uh, weeds and other other vegetation around your patch. Try to keep it nice and open. So there are several things that can be done, but in terms of a control, I think pick every day or every second day and freeze, process, or consume, and it won't be a problem for you. Now these flies are, what, spreading across the country after importation? Was I assume it was an accidental importation. Well, you know, a lot of product comes moving around the world these yeah. days, so I'm assuming I, hopefully none of this is intentional. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes they'll bring things over to control other things, and then the other things have to be controlled, and it's a never-ending cycle. Well, you're right, and that's the problem with some of the natural yeah. <laughs> uh, controls, uh, certainly, Dave. Uh, and that's why they've been a little slow. They have been back to China, mm. and they have uh, sampled what the natural predators. See, we don't have any natural predators here because right. it didn't come from this area. And uh, they've sampled some wasps and other things. And uh, now they have to be a little careful before they introduce those days because, uh, obviously, uh, you can have uh, a worse problem than the spotted wing drosophila. So they've got to be a little careful in terms of what gets introduced. It's taken a little while to find some good natural controls. So the major commercial areas where they still have the problem, they've had to go to again a schedule of uh, repeated and varied insecticides for control. So rather than avoid that, just pick in your own patch. But again, uh, I don't want to discourage people, right. particularly on a, a small basis, uh, from planting raspberries, because I think uh, we might have two years in a row here where there's no problem. But it did discourage our pick-your-own people, sure. and it discouraged our commercial people because it was a major, major undertaking to keep it under control. Well, let's head to the phone, Bob. We do have a caller already this morning. Hi, who's this? My name is Dennis Savoy. Hi, Dennis. Go ahead. I have uh, two young apple trees uh, that are within about uh, 15 feet of each other, and they're surrounded by a fence to keep the deer away and the other predators. And these are really healthy trees. I've been feeding it fertilizer for both of them. 
uh, at a, a proper time, it says uh, in a manual I was looking at. And uh, I never get any buds. The only thing I've been doing is is it recommended that I cut back the tree uh, every uh, spring early. And I've cut back the tree, but I don't get any buds, and I'm trying to understand what's happening here that I can't get something happening. I want yes. to get some apples. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, that's generally why you have an apple tree, right? You want some apples. So when you say buds, you mean flower buds, correct? Correct. So you've got uh, When I first got the trees, uh, there were some buds on the trees, and uh, I was told to take the buds off. You don't want that when the trees are very young. Yeah, you know, that, uh, for me, in my opinion, that's not going to make a great deal of difference. Some crops, uh, like strawberries in particular, we want a, a debud. But you've got a tree that's going to last for any number of years. Uh, do you happen to know the variety? Varieties um, in this case. I, they're 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 pretty common trees. Uh, uh, I can't tell you. Okay, that's all right. I can't. I just know that they're they're. I got them for because they had really um, good flavor in the okay. apples. Great. Um, oftentimes. You know, a couple things come to mind. I would back off on all the fertilizer. You've got lots of good lush leaf growth, I'm assuming. It's it's very. The trees are very healthy. Very uh, one healthy, of them is yes. a honey crisp. A and one the other is an older okay. tree. Okay. On these, you you know, you're going to have to go from what we call a juvenile to a mature form before they uh, before they really set a lot of flower buds. So. Um, Oftentimes, this takes a number of years. It depends a little bit on the rootstock and the type of tree. And that's why I asked about variety. Honeycrisp will take, uh, depending, five, six years. How old are these trees right now? they they got to be five years now. Okay, they're five years now. I would say this. You're getting at that point where you could expect if they're good and healthy. I don't mind you pruning some in the spring. Don't over-prune in the spring. Let's stay off. Let's stay away from any fertility in the spring. Any fertilizer. Okay. That's okay. encouraging that's encouraging this vegetative growth which uh creates a nice healthy tree. So I think what you've done is fine at this point. But let's uh, let's take off fertility. They they really if they're in a reasonably good soil, apples don't require a lot of additional fertility. So let's let's stay away from that because that only encourages it uh to produce more vegetative growth and we stay in this juvenile form longer than we'd really like. So I think you're doing just fine. I would not over prune, um, and if you're familiar with some of the pruning uh, techniques, we want to just make sure we have one central leader. Maybe that requires one or two cuts when it's dormant prior to bud break. And so let's not over prune to encourage vegetative growth. Let's not prune during the growing season, only when it's dormant. Let's back off on the fertility, and then let's be a little patient. So you've got a good variety there. I hope your zone. Are you zone three or four? Do you know, or maybe you could give us a general idea I'm where you're Duluth. I'm in Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, you're in Duluth, okay? Uh, generally in Duluth, if you have lake effect, uh, you're gonna you're gonna do pretty well with the Honeycrisp. Of course, it's a great apple. Uh, we don't encourage it to be grown uh, up over the hill too far north in St. Louis County, uh, just because it's not winter hardy as we'd like. It's really was introduced as a zone four apple, and in Duluth proper, you should be. 
a strong zone three or zone four. So you're going to be okay that way. It looks good. I think it's just a question of time and maybe a little over pruning and a little bit of uh, too much fertility. So let's back off on the fertility, one or two cuts if you need to on the, on the pruning, and then just be a little patient. I think you're going to be rewarded. Protecting from deer is always good. Sunscreen is going to be another issue. Are you wrapping the tree, or do you have a uh, some kind of... I wrap. I, I got those white um, that I stick around the, the base to keep the animals away. You're doing everything right. The one thing I'll say about as the diameter expands on that tree, make sure there isn't contact between that plastic tube and the bark because we no, can get water. There is there. not. Okay. There is watch, watch it as it grows. And if we come up and, and come in contact, let's pull those tubes off just so we don't get water that accumulates and rots the bark. You're doing everything right. Maybe it's just a question of time and a little less fertility, and you're going to be pleasantly surprised. In a year or two, you're going to get some nice buds and some good fruit, and then properly maintained, you've got another 20, 30 years of good production coming. So a little more patience. I hope I can live that long. (laughs) Well, that's that's your goal. You know, like I tell people, your goal is to make sure if you're a little older, like many of us are, when we plant an apple tree, we want to live long enough to really enjoy that fruit. So there's your goal. There's your incentive, okay? One thing I wanted to mention here, that uh, from my pruning this year versus other years, I've got a lot of stuff going up. Uh, all over on both trees. This is the most I've seen it expand. Yeah, that. when are you pruning? What time of year? Um, it was like uh, just before things were growing in the spring. Okay. I think oftentimes, um, you know, you may have, we have what we call water sprouting or adventitious roots where, or shoots where we actually get shoots that come from a lot of different areas. So actually over pruning can be stimulative and pruning can be stimulative. So I think we're, we want to take some of those off. Let's back off on the pruning. So I think we've okay. done a couple of, I think we've done a couple of things. We've, and, and you're doing everything right and you're trying to be very conscientious, but it's, says to me too much fertility and this tree's been over pruned so let's back off on both of those activities never prune during the uh, growing season when you've got leaves only when you're sure you're good and dormant so that would be late march early april if you're going to do any pruning and then let's back off on that okay thank you so much i appreciate it thank you so much those are all very good questions uh, you will be rewarded. You got great trees there. You got a good location because you got good vegetative growth. We're just kind of killing it kindness a little bit. Let's give it a little time, and it will produce for you. All right, let's take a break. Bob, we'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show, nine thirty one now at KDAL. All right, Bob, we are back to the phones. Hi, who is this? Hi, this is Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Um, I have a question about strawberry plants. I planted uh, a larger crop last summer, and it did well, and it did really well this year. And my question is, I'm still getting a few berries, but when, at what point would I replant the, the new seedlings, and then how would I prepare them for the winter? Okay, very good questions. Um, and uh, is this a June berry, what we call a June bearing variety? Well, most of them are, it's a honey-o. Most of the ones that I have are honey-o. 
Honey, I, honey, oh, however you want yeah. to pronounce it. Okay, there is a June varying variety. I'm glad you know the varieties because uh, strawberries are all just a little different, whether we're ever bearing or day neutral or June bearing. So you have a June bearing variety, and the June bearing variety will will kick out a lot of daughter plants, and that's what you're getting at this point. Is that correct? Oh yes. Okay, this is wonderful because what you want to get is you want to encourage those. You want uh, you want a nice thick mat of material. Uh, when did you plant the, plant them again? Your first planting year was when? Oh, last year. Last year you planted. Okay. Yes. And did you pull the blossoms that first year? No, because I wasn't sure. I don't think I really had that many the first year, but... Okay, that's probably a good sign. Usually if we get blossom flush the first year, what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage uh, these daughter plants to produce. So as the days are getting a little shorter, they will kick out a lot of daughter plants. You want to let those uh, let those go, and you had a good year this year. Um, yeah. We generally, for the homeowner, I would say you can get two to three years of good production. And uh, off those uh, off those particular plants, then it's time to renovate. By renovate, we're going to come in and we're going to we're actually going to shift the bed. So you're going to let those daughter plants uh, roll into the uh, roll out a little bit, and then the older mother plants we're going to come in and we're going to actually rototill those out, or we're going to open that area up. So we've always got new young uh, material out there, rather than letting it get older. So we're going to have to you can let it go another year here. And then where you planted your original mother plants, uh, those you want to take out and you'll let the daughter plants, which have now expanded to the outside, that'll be your new, uh, your new bed. So you got new material there. So I think um, for homeowners, I think that's a good technique. You can expect about two to three years of good production. If you let them go, you can still get production for a number more years, but it begins to decline. So ultimately, really with a, a, a raspberry plant, it's a disease. We've got fungal disease, red steel disease. It actually takes the patch out. Commercially, some commercial producers will plant the first year, and then they'll harvest the second year, and then they replant. They take all those plants out because they get such a good flush in that second year that it's worth replanting so you always have new young material out there. But I think for most homeowners, two to three years of production, then you can go through this renovative process and encourage more production and then replant maybe in the uh, fourth year or fifth year, something like that. Does that help? So, yeah, so should I just let the the daughter plants grow where they end up, or can I put them in a different spot to keep them more in rows? You certainly can move them around, and uh, that's some, something that, uh, so you want to kind of keep them in rows, or if they're growing out into what was your open spot where you were walking, you can let them fill that area in, and then ultimately, once again, when we renovate, we'll be taking out your rows are going to be where the original mother plants were planted, so that's called uh, a renovation uh, technique there. Yeah, so that, would, that was going to be what the problem is, is there's going to be no way for me to, like, get in there without stepping on them because they're all right. going to multiply. Right. Well, you've got good, uh, good vigorous daughter growth. You might want to, um, uh, again, you can prune some of those back. If you'd like, keep your rows another year where they are because you're very young in this planting. You want a good... You might want to just prune some of those daughter plants back and keep the rows where they are because it sounds like... You got very good production this year from those 
original plants, and you should get good production next year as well. So maybe you just want to prune some of those daughter plants back so you can maintain your rows and then let them fill in the next year and then go through this renovation process where you're taking out the original mother plants. Okay, and then can you just remind me, I know you you mentioned it last year about when I would cover the strawberries with with straw uh, for the winter? Very good, uh, very good question to ask because what we want to do is we want them slightly exposed to cooler temperatures. So we want them to take a frost in the fall, a frost and maybe a freeze, but when we get temperatures down into the low 20s, in other words, they're, they're projecting because the flower buds again set up in the fall of the year. So right now, those buds that are giving you daughter plants, those additional new buds are going to give you flower buds in the fall of the year. And we want those flower buds exposed to cooler temperatures, cool, 28, 29, 27 degrees. But they can be damaged significantly when we get down in the lower 20s. So what you'll do is you'll have your straw all purchased. You'll be ready to protect them. And when we get that forecast for 15 degrees, or something like that, and you get out there and you cover all of them with straw. So you're probably looking at November sometime. Okay. Make sense to you? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. That's just, that's wonderful. Then in the spring of the year, hopefully, sometimes what can happen is we can have, you want to pull that straw off as they begin to emerge. But if we have the threat of frost again, particularly when those buds, the flower buds now are beginning to break, you're going to have to protect and cover. They do that with overhead irrigation in the commercial uh, world, but for you, I think probably the easiest thing is just to have that straw ready. You've opened them up, and then this year we didn't get those frosts in May, but if a, a May frost, when you've got flower buds, you've got to pull that straw back to protect them at that point. Okay? Yes, thanks, Bob. Hey, thanks Thank a lot you. for the call. And we're back more of the Bob Olin Show. Bob, I'm guessing the farmer's markets are getting more and more stuff every week. Oh, absolutely. Uh, things are beginning to roll now. Uh, mm-hmm. We are getting, we did actually have some strawberries in the market. Can't say what we're going to have happen this year cause that, uh, or this next week because things kind of come and go. But certainly uh, the crops are beginning to come in. Got a lot of good greens always. We've got uh, beets coming in, a lot of zucchini, a few cucumbers, a few green beans, a little early in a couple cases there. But where you're warm uh, and got in early, there, there's some green bean production coming. A little early for tomatoes. Everybody asks for that, the warm season crop. A little early for a couple of these things, but not too far away. So uh, it's really coming, and uh, products on the shelf. And You know, we're there locally produced, uh, 14th Avenue East and 3rd Street, Dave. Uh, Wednesday afternoons, 2 to 5, and then Saturdays from 8 till noon. It is a nice community experience. We see lots of good friends there. And uh, bring the kids in, because we've got this wonderful uh, benefit where... You bring any child in that can be from an infant through uh, 18, and they bring a child in, and they get a $2 token, which they can spend on produce anywhere. Every Anytime you come in, uh, you get another token. So that's been a lot of fun. And the kids, uh, it's really fun to see the families that come and the young kids uh, buying uh, snap peas or buying uh, maybe some zucchini or whatever it is, carrots, things that they really enjoy and, and they like. So fun activity, products beginning to roll. We're coming in here toward the end of July, so every week now there's going to be more and more product available. For All folks. right, let's head back to the phone, Bob. Hi, who's this? Uh, Rob out of McGregor. All right. Oh, wow, that's great. I have two questions for you. When is the best time to prune uh, birch trees? Well, 
Well, you could prune birch trees early in the year. I wouldn't be pruning them right now. They are going to bleed some, you must understand. So you can prune those up uh, unless there's damage. If, if there's mechanical damage, wind damage, something like that, you'll have to prune them right now. But we really want them, uh, you know, we want them, we're moving through the season here, and we want that uh, that green leafy tissue up there right now because that's what makes the sugars that stores in the roots that uh, leads to the vitality of the plant. So I say early spring is when you want to prune them up, but you can expect there's going to be a little bleeding that will go along with that, but it's not going to hurt the tree. All right, that, that's an easy one. Uh, the other question I got is about three years ago, I had cutworms go into my peas and my beans. And just this spring, I had the cutworms take out some of my beans. What do I do about them? I went to a, a nursery, and they gave me some stuff. And when I read the directions, it said it was poison, don't eat it, you know? Oh, yes. I, I usually do pretty good on the peas and the beans. Yeah, so that's so. really disappointing when they hit those. We do have, uh, let me ask you this, uh, tomato crop bothered at all by them? Tomato? No. No. Nope, not at all. And the tomatoes are four foot away from the beans and the peas. Yeah. Well, you definitely have an infestation there that's going on, and um, you're right, any any product, uh, you know, you need some kind of a soil insecticide, so these are going to be poisons. We've got a few things labeled, but nonetheless, um, they're all going to be toxic, so you've got to be careful and always follow the label, certainly, for them. But tough, tough to control, particularly when you get an infestation like that. What's intriguing, usually it's cutworm will crawl up on tomatoes or cut them right at the stem, but we do have um, 40 or 50 varieties of actually cutworm uh, in uh, in Minnesota, so this could be another variety that does not seem to prefer tomatoes in this case. I think I would try to rotate out of there. I'd rotate into some other crop, put potatoes in or something else, uh, rotate the peas and beans out of there because you've got a pretty heavy infestation, and those are related crops, of course, both legumes, so whatever cutworm uh, you've got working there must prefer those particular that particular group so let's let's plant one of the other plant groups there and rotate them out of the area if you possibly can yeah and i'm kind of restricted i've got 20 by 40 foot garden area okay and so i mean i, I move every plant to a different area every year so every year you are moving them around you still got the problem mm. Um, cutworm does does produce a moth. I'm trying to think if there's some. You might have to just go to one of the pesticides, uh, soil drench, and uh, you might have to do that in an area. That, you know, minimize it. Don't put it in other parts of the garden, but follow the label. You maybe have to resort to that uh, ultimately um, as a control. Uh, you know, there are other possible ways. Have you ever tried covering with a product like Remay at all? Do you know what that is? No. It's a, it, Remay is a spun polyester product. Now, what you're going to try to do, and it's tricky because uh, uh, you ultimately are going to get a moth from these, and if you can uh, delay the uh, application of this covering blanket until that moth emerges from the soil and is out flying around and then exclude it, so you'd have to pull that Remay on top of your products uh, or on top of your plants just a little bit uh, later after they've emerged and after the uh, 
insect has emerged from the soil, and then you exclude them. So that's a technique known as exclusion. It can be done. Uh, organic producers will will do that, but the timing is pretty uh, pretty tricky on some of that because you don't want to trap them inside that remay blanket because then you just have a problem. They're very happy and content. So you got to let them get out of the ground. You got to let them fly around, and then you got to cover at that particular point. But it is an option, and you'll you'll want to use a lightweight remay that's designed for insect exclusion or insect control. So those that would be an organic option. Moving things around would be another option. But other than that, uh, you might have to wait or two. might have to exclude the, the beans or the peas for a year or two if that's your only option. Just not grow them to try to interrupt this life cycle one way or another. Or you're going to have to use some kind of a soil drench insecticide for control. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Bob. I appreciate the information, and I'll try out some of those options. Try some of those options. I think um, sometimes we get an insect uh, infestation that tends to build. What I'll say, if it's extremely bad one year, oftentimes that's the peak of the population as well. So if it's really bad and they're really cutting down a lot of of your product, then maybe you're near the peak and it won't be so bad next year as well. Okay? Thank you. It's a very good question. It's a very frustrating thing. I've had to deal with cutworms myself, mainly on, uh, on tomatoes. And whenever I put my, my tomatoes in, I have a collar around the main stems because a dingy cutworm will cut them right off. Wow. But they emerge from the soil. They can be a real nuisance. They're kind of an ugly pest, but they certainly can do a lot of damage for sure. I assume these things last over the wintertime then. Well, they overwinter down in the soil. That's uh, the issue. And actually, this year, in his situation where he's got a heavy infestation, it was a good year for any, any insect that oil overwinters in the soil because we didn't have any cold penetration. We had a blanket of snow very early, so they had a very, very good year. Any insect, soil-borne insect, uh, really had a very good year. So we're seeing some very high populations, in his case, of cutworm. We're seeing it Colorado potato beetle in some areas where they had just a great year because... Uh, there was no cold penetration. Often, if it's an open winter, uh, we get cold penetration that destroys uh, many of these uh, pupae that are down in the soil and interrupts the uh, the population cycle away. But right. this year wasn't that year. Bob, we'll take another break. We got another call to get to too. Right after this. All right, Bob. I thought we had another caller, but they uh, gave up apparently. So we'll uh, just talk about my apple crop, which uh, apparently is thinning itself out because I've never seen so many little tiny green apples around the tree that I have this year. Oh, so they're dropping at the ground, are they? Yeah, which is good because there was way too many on there anyway. Yeah, you know, they shed, they, they tend to shed apples, and uh, yours produces pretty well on an, on an annual basis, doesn't it? Every Lately, year yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some, some apples, and again, this is, um, they're quite specific by variety. Some have this uh, on-off biennial uh, production right. uh, habit, and uh, in many cases, uh, commercially, what they'll do is they'll try to drop a lot of those fruit in the real heavy years so we kind of even things out. And in your case, uh, the, the tree is naturally dropping a lot of them. In some cases, they'll hold on. We'll get, we have what we call a fruit spur on the branches where the flowers are produced. And oftentimes uh, that will result in three, four, five fruit per spur. Right. And you really want to get that down to about one. Even if you have two fruit per spur, that can be a heavy fruit load. We get smaller fruit. And then the, the difficult part of that coming into the fall, flower buds are set in the fall. 
uh, the tree is spending so much energy ripening fruit that there's not a lot of energy left to set flower buds for the next year. Hence, we get this real heavy year one year, and we get this very light year the next. But in your case, they, they, they tend to shed the fruit naturally, so I think that's good. Another nice characteristic of Harrelson, and Harrelson, again, a real hardy, reliable variety that goes back a long, long time, late to mature, uh, but uh, and it makes a very good eating apple. It's a little bit on the tart side, particularly right. if you take it immature, but we let them ripen in the fall, and uh, probably one of the best storing apples, one of the best processing apples. It makes a great apple pie, doesn't it, Dave? Absolutely, yep. And relatively maintenance-free. So once you get them established, as Jeff and Ed, Honeycrisp, honey great apple. It's, it's a wonderful University of Minnesota introduction. It's a little fussier, and it's not near as hardy. So I often will tell people, if you're going to plant one apple, start with a Harrelson. I know when um, Honeycrisp was so successful and uh, people said, well, we'll never grow another Harrelson, I said, I don't think so, because uh, we know Harrelson's been around since the 30s, and we know it's reliable, we know it's hardy, and this has been the case. The one drawback with uh, Honeycrisp uh, is just that you get away from the lake, you get down in those colder areas, and it's just not as hardy as we'd like. So Harrelson or Harold Red, which is a sport of Harrelson, has a little redder apple. Uh, that's, uh, those are kind of a standby still in the, in the orchard today. All right. Well, the deer are going to be eating good again this fall, that's for sure. <laughs> they are. Hopefully not in the tree, just a little <laughs> bit of the fruit that drops to the ground. Oh, they uh, they get the bottom of the tree pretty easily, too, on their hind mm-hmm. legs, and they get all they can find, and then the rest is mine. <laughs> well, you share a little bit. That's not that's too right. bad. Yeah. All right. Well, make sure to uh, check out the Farmer's Market. That'll be tomorrow and again on uh, Saturday, right? Tomorrow afternoon, 2 to 5, 14th Avenue East and 3rd Street and Saturday. And again, low production, and it's beginning to come in and really roll now. So as we get through the season, every week it gets better and better, and it's a fun community. And music on Saturday, a lot of good folks. It's just a nice community event. And the growing continues. Meanwhile, we got some rain showers this week. Uh, we've had some hot weather earlier, pretty much normal temperatures, it looks like, for the next week or so. So yeah. growing should be good. Growing is good, and of course it's been dry. Even down in the cities, it's been mm-hmm. quite dry. And, uh, of course, we get down to the southwest, it's been extremely dry. So, uh, for us, uh, we're one of the few parts of the country that's really managed to escape uh, this hot and dry. It was very cool last night. I was quite surprised. (laughs) Made it comfortable working out in the garden, but uh, it did cool off, and we had moisture. So, uh, we're we're in good shape. We're going to have some real high-quality product this year. All right, Bob, thanks as usual, and we'll catch you again next week for another Bob Olin Show. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave, and have a good week. All right, right here on KDAL, we're coming up on 958. Let's check uh, the weather forecast. KDAL weather update. I'm meteorologist Peter Kefakowskis with CBS 3 Duluth. Your forecast for today with scattered showers overhead. Temperatures today make their way into the low and mid-70s. For the overnight hours tonight, temperatures fall back into the 50s. And for our day on Wednesday, more scattered showers fill in through the afternoon hours as temperatures climb back into the low and mid-70s. With CBS 3, I'm Peter Kafkowskis for 610 AM and FM 103.9 KDAL. Right now with a cloudy sky in the Twin Ports, the airport temperature is 66. We've got a southwest wind developing now, 15 gusting to 23 miles an hour. Dew point at 57, relative humidity is 73%. 66 as well in downtown Duluth, 68 in Superior. Again, uh, reporting cloudy skies. Hibbing is partly cloudy in 62 this morning, overcast in 70 down in the Twin Cities. Solon Springs cloudy in 66, two harbors mostly cloudy 
and 63. Ashland checks in with cloudy skies and 67 degrees. Again, you're in the Twin Port, 66 over the hill in downtown, 68 in Superior. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.